when you already have the answers, you don't think deeply enough about the why behind it. It's only through experimentation that those bonds are formed between the conscious and the subconscious mind. Hello, you're listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast, the podcast that explores learning in the 21st century with educators, leaders, and entrepreneurs from around the world. I am your host, Ling Ling. I'm also the director of Spark Learning Solutions, a company that supports the development of cultural intelligence and intercultural competence of leaders and organizations globally. The term artificial intelligence, or AI, has been widely used since the last century. However, it's in these recent years we have seen huge progress in the space. The term artificial intelligence is when machines mimic humans and their ways of thinking and behaving, such as learning and problem solving. In 2001, Steven Spielberg directed a film called AI, where a robot named David, in the form of a boy, had an unquenchable need for his mother's love and sought it across time. The journey of David, a lifelike robot, stirred fear and caught the imagination of audiences worldwide at the turn of the century. That was 17 years ago. Today, researchers have created robots that are advanced enough to hold conversations and express emotions. But has AI become a part of our lives? Or are we still a long way to go? How will this impact us? Will AI truly take over our jobs and our learning? Joining us to answer these questions is the CEO and co-founder of AcquiZen. His name is JC Sakar. Hello, JC. Hi, Ling. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. So what is behind the name of your company and your tagline? Tell us more about that. Okay, I keep getting this question often. So Acquizen, and if you look at uh, the spelling, there's an I in between because we believe that uh, we are in this era of uh, artificial intelligence, but even then, we ought to keep the individual at the center of everything that we do, and the I there stands for the individual. And encompassing the individual on either side is ACU, which is acumen, which is short for acumen, and Zen, which is intuition. So acumen is intelligence, and the other side is intuition. And if you notice, there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a technology blurb over the eye. So basically what we're saying is, in the world of artificial intelligence, we still want to enable the individual with the intelligence and the intuition using technology. So that's the name of our company. So that's why it's called Intuitive Intelligence as well, because that kind of fits into your company logo. Absolutely, it does. And that's the mission, really, because we believe that... Uh, Part of the risks of all of this artificial intelligence all around us is the chance or the possibility that, you know, we keep the individual, we make machines more intelligent, but we don't focus on the individual. So our mission really is to enable the humans with intelligence in such a way that they're able to compete and they're able to thrive in a world in which there's artificial intelligence all around you. And you also called yourself a micro-learning platform company. What, what is micro-learning or what is m We're not entirely a micro-learning platform company, even though that's probably one of the solutions that we do. So micro-learning is about, it's not just taking down a, a, maybe a one-hour module or a 10-hour module and breaking it down into smaller chunks, which most people say what micro-learning is all about. But it's, it's really about taking one learning objective. I, I know we're exposed to a lot of things as part of our life, as part of our career, as part of our learning 
And when it comes to actually performing tasks, sometimes we struggle because we don't exactly know what we need to do. You know? And that's the point of time at which you go to Google and try to find out exactly what this is. Now, imagine a work-related Google where, you know, let's say I'm trying to operate a piece of equipment or I'm trying to do something. How do I know exactly what I need to do? And that's very relevant to the kind of contextualized work that I'm performing. So how do I get that right information for that particular task at the point of time when I need it? So it's about providing people with the point of need information to either perform a task or learn something or something at, at that point of time. So this is really breaking down, not really into meaningless chunks, but it's really about breaking it down to one learning objective, contextualized, provided to them at the point of need and in the right quantum using possibly multimedia because we're all so used to multimedia and we want it to be exciting. You know, it's not about throwing a brochure at me or throwing a uh, SOP at me and saying a standard operating procedure at me and saying, read this and find out because we're all so used to today getting stuff in uh, in nice multimedia. So this is about providing people that point of need information in, in, in nice multimedia at, at the point of need. So you said micro learning is only one of your solutions. What, what else do you do at Acquisent? So essentially we use micro learning as the platform, but then around it, we build other solutions because what happens, especially when it comes to the world of work is today, there's a lot of dispersed, dispersal of the workforce. You know, we don't really supervise people the way you know, supervision meant maybe many years ago, but you know, we rely on an extended supply chain, we rely on our contractors and subcontractors to do work around us. And in many of these cases, I think we are increasing the amount of risks that we're being exposed to because when work is being performed remotely, you don't exactly know whether it's happening the way you want it to happen. So there's a need for us to also monitor and find out exactly is this the way I want it to be done? So our platform also enables people to perform work, demonstrate the performance, and get evaluated by people who are probably supervising you. Maybe they may be remotely placed in an office, wherever. So it's about not just learning, but it's also a marriage of learning and performance. That sounds very much like based on your tagline, intuitive intelligence. And the topic today is actually quite an exciting area, and it's something that you know your company is... Uh, focused on, which is artificial intelligence and human learning. For me and maybe the majority of the people out there, artificial intelligence or AI seems to be like science fiction, you know, like the AI movie in 2001 by Steven uh, Spielberg. It's been, it's been so many years since then, and AI today has become a reality, or at least that's what the media says, that's what we see on the news, and so on. It's here, and it's here today. Although the concept of AI still seems to be hard to grasp. So what is artificial intelligence? Is it Siri on our iPhones? Is it virtual reality? What exactly is artificial intelligence? Okay, so basically, at, if you look at a very high level, artificial intelligence obviously is a word that's thrown around for multiple uh, you know, purposes. But at the base of it, what it really means is it's all about mimicking human behavior. You know, it's about mimicking humans, not just say human behavior, but mimicking humans. So that's the large umbrella term. And within that, there are multiple things. I mean, it could be as simple as voice recognition, pattern recognition, things like that. So multiple things that you would really have as AI solutions. Now, that's the umbrella term that's being used. But beyond that, 
you know, it it encompasses also things like, I mean, look at this as three concentric circles where you have AI as the big circle and within AI, you probably have machine learning and within machine learning, you have this deep learning. You know, those are really the three concentric circles with the deep learning being the real insight stuff and then machine learning being the next one and then the, the big one being AI. We are still, I think we misuse the term AI today uh, quite quite extensively because a lot of what we do today by way of AI is really pure data analytics, which has been around for many, many, many years. But what's changed really in the last few years is, is the amount of data that's being collected and the variance of the data that's being collected. In other words, you're not just collecting data from one source, you're collecting data from multiple sources, and then you're trying to piece all that together. And today you have the computing power that enables you really to essentially start dissecting the data in different ways and me in different ways and thereby able to come to come some certain conclusions about you know predicting what this, what's going to happen here so that's really where the bulk of the ai applications are happening today which is really more of uh, you know things like what you have in siri and others are really all about recognizing and then you know having a database and then replying from the database so it's really about processing huge amounts of data but as we go into the next two levels, they get a little more complex, and I can give you some examples for that. Can you share with us what is machine learning and what is deep learning? Because they both sound the same to me. Okay, let me give you an analogy for machine learning. So let's take uh, an example of, let's say, a barista. You go to the bar every day, and uh, you know the barista, the minute he sees you, he recognizes that, okay, hey, Ling is coming into the bar, and Ling likes, this is the way she likes a drink, so he knows how to mix the drink for you. So basically what it's doing is it's nothing but, you know, the fact that you went there continuously every week and then that pattern was formed, know that, you know, this is Ling's favorite drink and I've got to mix this drink. So it's really predicting saying that this is what Ling does. So when Ling comes, I don't have to wait for her to tell me what she needs because I know this is the kind of drink she likes. So that's what, when it's done to machines, when it's done with machines, that's what is machine learning. It's really about pattern recognition and then determining that if, so-and-so is doing this, then that means when, I, when he comes the next time, I've got to do this. So that's, in very, very simple terms, what machine learning is all about. It's really not the frontiers of technology, if you will. I mean, it's been around for many, many years. It gets a little more complex when it goes to deep learning. And when, it's, when you say deep learning, it's all about, again, looking at the data sources. So it's not just Ling coming into the bar today, but it's also about knowing what kind of a day Ling had today. So today, Ling had a great day at work and therefore she probably and she won a, a big business deal and she'd like to celebrate today and therefore i'm going to offer her champagne today because that's what she's going to go for so it's about forming those connections based on others data sources thereby coming to a conclusion that it's not just about it's not just about looking at a person and saying this is what this person needs but it's also looking at the person looking at other interactions the person may have had looking at situations around you and then coming to a conclusion so it's about forming those uh, you know the neural connections as you will which we'd probably do in the brain because in the brain you'd probably have a neural connection which says that uh, she looks very happy today therefore i'm going to kind of give her champagne and that if it starts happening with data that's being processed around you that's what deep learning is all about are there some examples in our daily lives where we experience machine learning and deep learning or or objects or devices that we use on a daily basis because i think your uh, analogy of the barista is really fantastic but how does it work in terms of you know our day-to-day -day. simple things like you know you have the siri reminder system which tells you you know as you leave home or as you leave work remember to pick up the milk okay that's 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 a simple application right because that's been fed in that you know if you're if this is your geotag location 
And as you're passing by the, the store, as, as you're walking past the store, remember to pick up the milk because you would have normally not forgotten. You, you may have forgotten that, but that's where the data is programmed to tell you that as I do this, do this. Okay, so that's a, that's a very simple example. Obviously, you also have things like scanners with optical character recognition. All of these are all, in some ways, application of artificial intelligence because you're essentially taking some data and then taking some information data and then processing it and then bringing it in a form that makes sense to you. Learning, I would still say, is possibly not yet there. I mean, we're still exploring it and it's mostly in an experimental state. I wouldn't say there are any mainstream applications as yet. Not that I'm fully aware of. Uh, obviously, you have Watson, which uh, which you may have heard of, and the cognitive power of Watson being significantly higher than even the best players of chess or other games. Really, a lot of it is in the R&D phase, but that's obviously scared a lot of people about what's the potential of that. Machine learning is, uh, like you say, pattern recognition, and it's something that we use. The most simple example is Siri on our iPhones or whatever smartphones that we carry. A deep learning is still in its R&D kind of phase. Uh, you've mentioned in an article that you've written that humans are naturally curious, and I'm just going to quote directly from your article that machines are gradually reducing the cognitive ability of men and also impacting our curiosity. So how and why is this happening? The, I think the natural curiosity of men is something we're all born with. I think, you know, the child is probably the most curious person. And it's that curiosity that really helps us form those neural connections that you have between the conscious and the subconscious mind. It's only through experimentation that those bonds are formed between the conscious and the subconscious mind to link back what you are seeing with what you potentially know and then having that link to say, why is this happening? You know, the, the why factor is something that, that essentially forms those neural connections between your front and your, uh, between your conscious and your subconscious mind. Now, my fear really is, you know, if we are not having that curiosity factor and if we kind of are spoon-fed everything by way of uh, somebody telling us exactly why this is happening, you already have the answers. When you already have the answers, you don't think deeply enough about the why behind it because you already have an answer. You want to move on because you are really, you really have multiple things to worry about and you, this is one less thing for you to worry about, therefore you move on. So you've not really formed that neural connection between the conscious and subconscious. So that's, I think, increasingly happening today and which is why uh, we need to be conscious of the fact that, you know, if it requires us to go out and seek our information sometimes, we need to do that. You know, it's not taking the easy way out of quickly Googling and finding the information. And, and going back to the generations when, you know, we needed to go to a library to find out and research information, you know, look at 10 different books before you could come to an answer. That's not the case anymore. I mean, you need any information, you go to Google and you find out what that information is. You know, So the ability of people to innovate really comes not from going deeper and deeper into the same subject, but it's also about the variety of information that we go through before we come to that, because it's about forming the patterns between, you know, I may be reading a book on something and then Parallel, when I read a book on an unrelated topic, you know, that connection that I form between the two things may, where, may really be where that innovation comes from. And I think that's something which we risk kind of losing today because everything's being fed to us on a platter. It's, isn't it kind of contradictory in a sense that you are heading up a company that does artificial intelligence? And now you're saying that, you know, if we rely too much on technology, people would naturally lose their curiosity or lose that neural linking and sort of. So how do you balance that? Yeah, which is why what we believe is that 
our solution should really be solutions that can enable them to you know form that neural connection so we're not here to to kind of disrupt the whole thing and provide people with a lot of information so that they they kind of uh, rely on us entirely but really about how do i form that one neural connection at that point of time so that it strengthens it and our biggest success would come when people stop using us because what it means is that the neural connection has formed within within the individual and therefore they don't need us the reality is today what happens is we are not going to be learning one subject and living with that one subject for the rest of our life i think people are going to be shifting from you know topic a to topic b to work a to work b over a course of the career and i mean those neural chains do get weakened over time and there's a need for reinforcing that neural connections over time and our solutions are really not intended to to replace a formal learning process or to replace any kind of teaching process but it's really to reinforce this at the point when they need this as opposed to really saying that you know you don't need you don't need the solution at this point of time but you know you can really look at replacing it with our solution that's not what we're trying to say what we're saying is that yes you need you need something to reinforce that and this is where we come in now in other words we're not really uh, anti technology as marwat we are absolutely for technology but we're saying technology has to be used judiciously at the point of need so what i hear is that the technology that or the solutions that you provide in terms of ai and so on is more to complement the learners learning process rather than disrupt it or take over it or yeah to their cognitive abilities when we say ai our, our belief is that the ai should be more uh, we and i don't even want to call us an ai company till such time we really gather enough data but we will eventually be an ai company when we have a lot of learners on our platform who generate a lot of data which gives us information about specific learning difficulties and things like that which will enable more of policy based decisions and so our ai is not so much to the individual as is it to policy makers who can who know that again marrying the data who know that the, the skills that are required for individuals who are going to go on to this particular job are you know abc and these are the areas where they need more support and these are the areas where we need to build capacity so we wouldn't want to use ai really for for the individual as we would for a holistic policy making kind of for the information or something like that so apart from your company i know there are plenty of other companies who have invested into ai or machine learning or, or deep learning and according to the mckinsey report in 2017 Uh, Baidu and Google spent between 20 billion to 30 billion investing in AI R&D and acquisition. So how do you think this rapid growth of AI will impact the the learning industry? What do you believe will happen? There are two things here. One is that there's a lot of learning technologies around there and I think we again tend to mix up learning technologies with uh, with AI um because the the technology space where you know you have technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality they all add on to this whole technology thing which may not truly be artificial intelligence at this point of time i do believe that the aspect of ar and vr will obviously have a play here because i think it helps to clarify concepts a little better and it helps people to maybe shorten the learning cycle and the learning time so those will certainly have a have a big impact but when it comes to ai i think the fundamental application of ai when it comes to education will probably be more in the role of personalization so it's about looking at this individual learner ling and saying ling is tend she has a tendency to forget this particular concept so this is where we need more reinforcement so the next set of questions that i ask ling are going to be in these areas 
or the next lesson that I give Ling is going to be in this area. So it's it's an aspect of personalization which people will be looking at. There are other mundane uh, activities like grading and you know marking and then finding out where where do I need to put focus. Those could all be things that happen by way of automation or technology or to a lesser extent artificial intelligence. So when it comes to technology and AI, there are some educators who believe that you know, like technology doesn't help the learner and there's still a great need for human connection when it comes to education. So I've heard of instances where, you know, educators, they require their learners to put away, put away their devices during a classroom session. How will uh, technology or AI impact educators who, you know, are resistant to, to this uh, advancement? Okay, I think the educator has got a huge role to play and I don't think that, that role is going to change anytime soon. But I think educators need to be conscious of what their role is. If an educator starts looking at his or her role as just a provider of information and somebody who has to go through a course material mundanely and uh, and just deliver that course material irrespective of what's happening to the learners, I think we are in for trouble. Educators need to see themselves as people who are stirring that curiosity in their learners and stirring that interest to go deeper into the subject or maybe to a large extent, it's all about not just giving the right information, but it's also about asking the right questions. And that, I think, is something which machines do not have the ability to do anytime soon. So if you are an educator who understands the mood of the audience and is in a position to ask the right questions and spur that innovation or spur the thinking in your people and the curiosity in your students, you still have a huge role. But if you are a trainer whose role is to come and present a slide, a bunch of PowerPoints and tick the box to say that you've completed all those slides and you've asked all the things that were described as part of your learning, as part of your teaching process, uh, yes, I think you do have a risk. So uh, it, it is about moving away from being, an, being a trainer to being a facilitator. And I think that role is going to become increasingly important when it comes to the use of technology. I'm ambivalent when it comes to this aspect of do I need to put my handphones away when you're when you're doing it. I think if you are a trainer or a, or a facilitator who's making the course interesting, your students aren't going to reach for the handphone. I think the reality is that we have to recognize that with technology, the attention spans of people are decreasing enormously. And you've got to be interesting at every point of time if you want to, if you want to keep up the interest. So if you're a great storyteller, nobody's going to interrupt your story and look into the handphones. But if you're a poor storyteller, if you don't know how to get the audience's attention, yes, chances are they'll go to something that's a little more interesting. How can we help educators, trainers, and facilitators to embrace technology and AI in, in the way they, in, in their roles? There's a lot of advantage which technology can give to educators because I think it essentially takes away a lot of the mundane tasks that can potentially be done by by, by technology even before they come to the classroom. Simple things like, which is already prevalent, which is things like flip learning, you know. How do I really provide generic information or questionnaires that people can answer even before they come to class and use the time that they come to class with more meaningful discussions and uh, and and kind of around the topics that they are supposed to learn about. So how do you encourage that group learning? How do you put people into social groups in such a way that they can interact and learn from each other? So these are all areas where I think the the learner or the trainer can essentially try and move away from doing the mundane tasks, even grading and things like that offline using technology and spend the time in class facilitating and then encouraging discussions and then raising questions. Because again, I reiterate the fact that 
asking the right questions is going to be a huge role of facilitators as a, as opposed to providing the right information or providing the information because i think information can always be found but the questions that need to spur the thinking in the in the in the minds of the individual is is where the most difficulty is so anything that can be automated anything that can be potentially done at the back end using technology whether it's grading whether it's you know examinations those things can be done with technology i think that is a big change in in the learning industry or the, in the education field when you know you have ai and technology taking the manual kind of work and automating it i'm sure there are educators out there who are used to the mode of sharing information but are not yet used to changing their roles to becoming more of a facilitator and asking questions so i believe there's a general fear and i think it's not only in the learning industry but everywhere else that ai and technology will will take over their jobs do you think that's a bit of a premature to to predict that you know ai and technology will take over jobs or is it something that you know we as humanity will find a way to overcome it this is this is a topic obviously which is uh, which is always discussed in our forums i think the threat is for real i don't think it's it's impossible to predict that there will be many jobs that will vanish and many new ones that will be created i have a simple thumb rule for this which is i know all thumb rules do have a, a certain amount of accuracy but uh, my simple thumb rule is that uh, look at your look at the job that you're doing today is this a job that can be described by a standard operating procedure if this is a job that can be described by a standard operating procedure my fear is that one day it can be automated but if your job cannot be described by a standard operating procedure i think you can rest assured that it will take take a while before which technology can take over your technology or artificial intelligence can take over your role and 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 that's my thumb rule for is this job at risk so if you look back at some of the jobs that have been lost which could be simple accounting jobs and simple uh, you know call center jobs these are all things where if to, if this is a question that your that your customer asks this is the answer you give when once you start standardizing all those things i think you're at a risk and this this is where the this is where again you go back to educators educators are probably one of the one of the important roles where you know it may not be possible to automate a great facilitator i can't describe an sop for a facilitator and say this is this is who your facilitator is i mean these are skills that you build over time and these are things which you know over time you really develop that ability to essentially gauge what's happening to the student how do i do this and you got to kind of keep tweaking your approach each time and that's where i think an educator's role if they move towards becoming great facilitators is never going to be at risk so what do you think we can expect in the next 5 or 10 years when it comes to artificial intelligence and human learning i i i just think this trend is going to accelerate simple very simple i think they're going to see more and more uh, and again i i'd like to say you'll see more technology being used whether it's artificial intelligence uh, whether it's uh, things like ar and this is going to be an increasingly unavoidable thing you are going to see a lot of it what i probably see is a trend where the focus is going to shift from mere learning to learning on the job and learning performance of uh, the person i think there's increasingly too much focus on the provision of the information and the provision of the knowledge and a lot of our investments today are all focused on just that delivery of the content but that's going to shift really in my opinion to the performance of the individual as he goes on in other words the treatment of learning as an activity will kind of you know morph into learning as a journey where 
the personalization using technology and using artificial intelligence will extend beyond the classroom to one where the support that needs to be provided to an individual in his lifelong learning journey using technology will become extensive. So I believe that if things go the right way, learning will move more from being a, you know, a transaction to one that's more of a relation where I have a connect with my trainer or my educator over a longer period of time as I get into work. And he starts also becoming a mentor to me as I work and as I learn new things, as I, as I make my mistakes. So we believe that uh, this is where technology has got a huge application because I could have gone to school uh, in, in a country A and then I work in country B, but then I suddenly realized in my work that there was something which my facilitator told me in country A, how do I go back and ask him that question? So I think that connections there are where our ability to go back and look back into what we did in the past and uh, learn from our trainers and help those trainers to really manage a performance is going to become more important. So I, I would say it's a shift from learning to performance. The future of AI and human learning will be very bright because learning will be a lot more personalized to the individual on their capabilities and on their performance rather than you know, using the cookie cutter method that we're using now. Thank you so much for your insight in the past half hour on AI and human learning. Thank you, Ling. Those were some very nice questions. Thank you. You got me thinking. You're a great facilitator. <laughs> that was JC Sekar, CEO and co-founder of AcriZen. In the next episode, we will speak to Go Ayat, a former banker and management consultant. Today, she calls herself a trainer, a storyteller, an artist, and an entrepreneur. We will discuss about what it takes to be an entrepreneur. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcast. Every rating helps us build credibility and attract new listeners. This also helps us to keep making the show. This is your host, Ling Ling, and thank you for listening to the Leaders of Learning podcast. <laughs>